When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ2, the deuce. That's nice. how you do it. That's that was, how you do it. That was that was really nice. That was really nice. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you drinking? Mm. Okay, never had this one before, so authentic reaction. This is Leather Jacket by Edmunds Oast. Ooh, it's a porter. It's a pint. It's six point five, and so um, you know um, what's going to happen is going to happen over the course of the program. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. All right. And our storyteller for the first time in almost a year, <laughs> Mr. Will the Thrill. I just, it's, it's so amazing. I thank you all for being here. I, I almost forgot what this is like. It has been <laughs> a year since Croce, right? I think that was the last one. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, before, actually, before you jump into your drink, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to our, uh, our audience. Our, our, I can't close our porch door because I have a very stubborn cat who refuses to come in off the porch so that we can record. So if you guys hear like children screaming or elevators dinging or airplanes, I'm sorry, but the, the cat wins every time. They often do. Also, what do you what do you strive we strive for we strive for perfection and professionalism, said the cast of a show, two of whom are drunk. <laughs> And uh, this this particular week, two of us have COVID. Yep. So. So that makes all three of us now that have had it. Yeah. yeah check it off the list. Yeah, I felt really special because I'm like, you know, hey, it's now hey one guys, million. welcome to the club. I I don't want to be a part of a club that would have me as a member. Thank you, Groucho. It comes with it comes with terrific Ow. benefits. You're tired. Um, you end up talking like B. Arthur for a few days, uh, according to Will the Thrill. Um, there's, there's, there's certainly perks. Yeah, it's not without I, its charms. I just want to go to bed. <laughs> I, I will tell you, the COVID fog is real because I was sending out emails today. And in my head, I had crafted this wonderful email, put it, you know, my fingers to the keys to the keyboard printed this whole like I, I wrote this whole thing out and I looked back at it before I hit the send button and I just wrote drop microphone and at that point I took a nap Muscatel the actors open uh, so uh, anyway we, we wanted to thank you guys for your patience on getting this episode out I uh, don't know if you guys know it or not but me and Will were actually this is why we got COVID uh, we were in the market for a house, and so we... Actually, you got COVID because you're bad people. No, we got that... COVID because we were on Amtrak. 
Yeah, that, that's about as much of a Petri dish as you can hope for. Yeah. A multi-car Petri dish just teetering across the country at yeah. a glacial pace. Yep, and it didn't help that it felt like you were just constantly being shaken awake by a toddler every 35 seconds. So if any, if no any of you have seen had. Harry Potter, the was it the third movie, Prisoner of Azkaban, where they take the night bus? Yes. That's about how it felt trying to sleep on that train. So including the Jamaican man just screaming at some point. Yep. It was uh it was quite an adventure. But yeah, that's how we ended up with COVID. But we decided that we were gonna take a train across the country and have a lot of fun. And uh half of that statement was true. And we did have, fun. Uh, we did have we, no, I we took the train. I, you might have had fun, but I, I, I was tired and couldn't eat anything because they kept running out of the food that was safe for me to eat. It had some problems, but then we had a delightful road trip from Chicago all the way to the southeast. Yes, we did, and we went to Bucky's, which was. A, did go to Bucky's. It was. It was. It was heaven. How was that ghost it's pepper a pilgrimage? Jerky? How was the ghost pepper um, jerky? Oh, it's all. Oh, the ghost pepper beef jerky is awesome. Oh, it's so good. I have to get another bag. Yeah, well, it's so good. It's it's that you can't you can't really explain Bucky's to somebody. You have to go. You have to go experience it yourself. So it's like like the Matrix. It is transcendent. So it is. It's it's the Cadillac of 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 convenience stores. It's the Macy's of it's it's a a Cadillac driving by the Macy's of, of convenience stores. So between two different rental cars, three different hotels. Uh, one train on Amtrak that was horribly late getting in, uh, getting COVID, testing positive, not being able to see our family. We still managed to find a house, place a bid on it, and the bid was accepted. So me and Mr. Will the Thrill will be moving to Georgia over the next couple of months. So. Yep. You guys are going to see actually an a, a increase in exceptional audio and an increase possibly in even having more content because we will be in driving distance of my brother who we can actually set up a, a proper studio like we used to have and record you know uh, multiple episodes in one week and and get it all out fast and fun and furious and it'll be great so after everything we we got a house and what a journey it's been yes and then oh cool, man and then our our cat got a bird this morning so <laughs> yeah. it's been it's been a day <laughs> anyway so now that we've done a wrap-up of the last couple of weeks uh we want to welcome you guys back welcome you guys back to the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast, and it is helmed by Mr. Will the Thrill. So, Will, do you have a word from our sponsor before you get started? I think this is the best place to do that. And our sponsor, our generous sponsor, I should say, is Better Help. Because, let's be honest, we all need a little help sometimes. We spend a lot of time working on the things that we think are so important. It's finding a house it's taking a train across the country not these things are unimportant but i do have an important question for you and that is when was the last time you focused on your mental health this is a question that went way too long unanswered for me i was like everybody else i was focusing on multiple areas of my life something wasn't adding up and in the end i just thought something was wrong i needed somebody to talk to and so i found better help BetterHelp was the best match for me, especially during a global pandemic where I was feeling isolated, couldn't go out, and more importantly, they matched me up with a counselor to suit my needs, and I think that's the best 
part of the BetterHelp approach. It's about tailoring therapy to you. They ask you target questions and set you up with the right therapist so you can talk about whatever you want, big topics, small topics, it doesn't matter. BetterHelp is there to meet your needs. It's simple and it's much more affordable than in-person therapy. Plus, you don't have to drive down to an office, sit there, park, pay for parking. It's all a mess. BetterHelp was a game changer for me, for millions of other people, and we are convinced it's going to be a game changer for you. That's why we have a special promo for our listeners on this podcast. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at BetterHelp.com with our code, which is ROCKHEAVEN. So again, that's BetterHelp.com. Please enter our code ROCKHEAVEN to take advantage of that 10% discount off your first month of professional therapy. Thank you again to BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast and helping me out. Better help, better life. Excellent. Uh, yes, please, guys, do make sure to take advantage of that promo code. Uh, we can all use a hand every now and again. And uh, trust me, after these last three weeks, I completely understand that. So to get a jump on it, who are we talking about this week to Will the Thrill? Well, I'm going to invite you all back to an era that I'm very fond of. Grab the Doc Martens and grab the flannel. We're going back to the early 90s, folks. Of course, our story doesn't start in the early 90s. It's going to deal with a little bit of time before then, leading up to one of the most unique voices in the rock grunge era, and that is Lane Staley. That's our subject. Yay! I know! Hooray! So I know, TJ, you and I have talked at length about this subject, and I think of the three of us, TJ, you and I align on our passion for grunge music. I think, LD, you might be a little skeptical, maybe? I wouldn't say skeptical, but the thing is, we lived two totally different 90s. My 90s was on the side of more pop, and grunge invaded that. So it's not that I'm skeptical. Of course, I'm open to it because I've already done Chris Cornell, and I already did uh, Kurt Cobain, and so I've uh, Shannon Hoon, which technically isn't grunge, but I've done a lot of the alt-90s people that have already passed on. So it's not that I'm skeptical. It's just that I'm still learning. Got it. And you're going to see a lot of crossover here because of course, all the grunge bands were based in Seattle. And of course, Alice in Chains with Lane Staley is going to be no exception. So you're going to see a lot of those faces coming in and out of the story as well, which is going to be good. And uh, the fact is grunge was almost never a thing. It was really an underground music movement in the Northwest Pacific around the mid eighties is actually when it started. And it was really started by bands like Green River, the U-Men, the Screaming Trees. I know TJ and I have talked about them on multiple occasion. And there was a small band, an upstart band you may have heard of called Soundgarden. Well, by 1986, the front runner for grunge was really the Screaming Trees. And I think uh, we should probably put a little note there to do a episode for their late frontman Mark Lanigan, who is, of course, uh, passed on. They also have the guitarist Gary Lee Connor, also very adept at what he does. And despite their musical prowess in the mid to late 80s, they weren't really gaining commercial traction. The Clairvoyance album, which came out, I believe, in 86 or 87, was really just kind of a local favorite. It was getting some radio airplay, but it hadn't really blown up. So they needed someone to really break through the wall. Well, that band was going to be Alice in Chains. And the most amazing thing about Alice in Chains, I go through the story, is you're going to see how on numerous occasions, the band almost never formed. It was really like this person bumping into this person, and this person introducing him to this person. So it's almost a cosmic level of parody that got this band together. So if things had gone along, 
Soundgarden might have been successful. Screaming Trees might have been successful. But instead, we got the bands Nirvana. We got Pearl Jam. And we got Alice in Chains. And Alice in Chains was really the band that catapulted grunge rock out of the Seattle scene and became a worldwide phenomenon. So I'm going to share some interesting dates with you. This is a list of what are considered to be the top grunge albums of all time. And TJ, feel free to weigh in on this. I'm going to float you the album and when it was released, okay? All right. We have Soundgarden, Super Unknown, released in 1994. You know what? You know what, though? I I remember when that was released because Mm -hmm. I think all the members of this podcast know how creepy I find (laughs) <laughs> the video for black hole sun and i think i even pointed that out in our chris cornell episode like i find that video to be the most terrifying music video in my opinion and i remember exactly where i was and exactly how old i was so i probably could have known that cold so 1994 soundgarden super unknown nirvana's Nevermind, september of 1991 pearl jams 10 august of 1991 what came out a full year prior? Alice in Chains' facelift was 1990. Now, yep. now some people know that Soundgarden did release an album called Louder Than Love in 1989. However, that did not have nearly the impact that Facelift had. When Louder Than Love came out, I think it hit 108 on the top 100. It was getting some airplay, but it actually started to lose traction because of the parental warning sticker. We're going to get into that a little bit later facelift hit like a truck it hit number 42 on the charts it was the first grunge album to go certified gold according to the riaa in one year and facelift would go on to reach double platinum status it is still to this day one of the highest selling grunge albums ever that's That's incredible and also how do you say it the riaa yes So simply put, Facelift just broke through that wall that I was talking about. So you could argue that we wouldn't have grunge if it wasn't for Alice in Chains. And you could argue we wouldn't have Alice in Chains if it wasn't for this series of chance meetings that I'm going to get into. And we certainly wouldn't have had any of that without Lane Stately. Now, Lane is considered one of the most... Just just as an aside, just as an aside, Will, I remember there was a great rock station... Uh, I used to listen to in high school. It was 95.7 out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And I remember right around the time Facelift came out, they they played some Alice off of it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you said it was like a truck, you know, in terms of what it did on the charts and the impact it made. Just the, no, the sound of it was like getting hit by a truck. It yeah. was, oh my God, it blew. I could, like, it blew my mind. Like, I could not go buy it fast enough. Absolutely. And if I had to use a, a comparison with whiskey, which is something we both enjoy, TJ, I, I would say that, you know, Pearl Jam is the whiskey that's distilled and it's filtered and it's cut with water to reach that designated proof. So when it comes out, you're getting a consistent product. Alice in Chains is almost what it comes out when it comes out of the barrel. It's rough. It's raw. And like you said, it's just an attack on your senses. And it's certainly like, not. No, yeah, yeah no. A- Alice in Chains is like a uh, white liquor made by two you know dudes named Skeeter and Bubba down by a creek somewhere. But yeah, those guys know what they're doing. There is an immense artistry to the Alice in Chains music. And I think, LD, this is something you had said, you know, their harmonies are spectacular. Absolutely. Yeah. And Lane is, of course, at the forefront of that. He is, you know, the voice of Alice in Chains and largely considered the voice of grunge. 
And his harmonies alongside guitar player and vocalist Jerry Cantrell really gave him that edge. And, and like you said, TJ, it came out, it was not like anything else. It had complexity. It had beauty. And at the same time, it was a, a bare knuckle punch right in the face. Um, Lane was equally complex in his own life as he was in his vocal style. He apparently had at his peak a five octave vocal range, which is insane. That's really impressive. Yeah. Because what is like the normal, the normal human is what, three? Three if you're lucky. Yeah. And for three, three is actually like a pretty good vocalist. Yeah. (laughs) I think that was probably about one and a half. <laughs> I, I'm probably that half, but yeah, Lane but had five. Was, yeah, this there was so, yeah, it's just so so amazing, and the the I mean, the end is always sad in these. It's really sad in this one. Um, there's a lot of yeah. sad that leads up to the sad ending. Mm-hmm. And like the music he sang, Lane was only with us for a short time. He was really a walking contradiction. He was shy, but he was also cocky. He was serious, but he was also a practical joker. He was a public figure, but at the same time, he was intensely private. He was a free spirit, but of course, he was also an addict. And that brings us to the warning for this one. Uh, This will deal with some very dark topics, including substance abuse, addiction, uh, language. I will tell you that I'm going to do my best to peel it back. There are a lot of F-bombs here, and I'm going to leave some in for authenticity, because I'll tell you, no one loved the F-word more than Jerry Cantrell. (laughs) Jerry uses the F-word constantly in interviews and everything it's effing this and effing that so he loved using it so i'm gonna do my so best but I is make this promises. the person is this the person that you said i'm gonna like yeah with every series we do based on their sort of actions and persona i, I have a feeling ld's gonna like certain people and i think you're gonna like jerry and, and tj i already know your opinion on jerry cantrell is, is very high so i mean genius yeah my 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 opinion of him is already stellar because i use the f word like people drink water so yep. That's We're Jerry. Good there. <laughs> you can you can meet on that ground if nothing else. So please know, folks, if these topics are triggers for you, especially the addiction and the substance abuse, this may not be the series for you. Uh, you may want to pass this one over. Um, you may be dealing with that in your own life. So I do want to throw this out here at the start. Um, at, this, at this point, you may just want to find another podcast. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Given our our subject, it's, like, it is quite uh, prevalent. Perhaps rock and roll heaven is not going to be your cup of tea in general. Yeah, maybe not. Why, well, uh, Ike? <laughs> Whatever do you mean? (laughs) I mean, we have a series coming up on Waylon Jennings. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yes. But please know that if you are struggling or someone you love is struggling, there is help. I do want to include some information here about the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration. Their number is 800-662-4357. Again, 800-662-4357. This is a national 24-7 hotline. It is 100% free. You can get help. Also, if you happen to be in Seattle, you can contact THS, Therapeutic Health Services, at 833-278-HELP. Again, 833-278-HELP. They've also created another line that's sort of in the same vein as 911. Mm -hmm. It's the now National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Let me get that really quick because they've shortened it to just three digits. So hang on. Yeah. And while you dig that up, LD, because we do want to share that as well, I want to let you know that if you feel you want to contribute to a noble cause that's fighting addiction, there is, of course, the Lane Staley Memorial Fund. Uh, They actually partnered with THS in Seattle. And if you go to their website, there is a link to Lane Staley's Memorial Fund, which is uh, built to fight addiction and help those who are struggling because Lane was an addict. And it's something that uh, 
he actually goes into very much detail about in his writing and his personality uh, and in interviews. And it's something that he did not condone and he wanted to help others steer clear of that. So so the the number now is now 988. So if you are struggling with your mental health, uh, the the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is available 24 hours and they do speak both English and Spanish. And that is 988 for those in need. Um, and then I'm, I'm just glad that they've shared it or they, they, I'm glad that they've shortened it so that it's a memorable number because it's something that you can give out very quickly. And yeah. so, you know, if you are struggling, you know, not to be that, that person that panders to our, our sponsor, but we do have better help. But if you are in a crisis, 988 is the best number and you will be connected with someone who can help. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something we are going to revisit as we deal with these very difficult topics. It's going to be a long and convoluted story. Lane is a very private person. In fact, there really aren't a lot of books about just Lane. Uh, most of them are about Alice in Chains, and he's kind of a side character in his own story. There is only one book out there that's about Lane exclusively, and it's by a journalist named Adriana Rubio, and it is highly criticized. In fact, it's thought that some of the interviews are are fabricated. Uh, Lane's family has come out against the book. Other journalists have slammed the book. They said it's really not accurate. In fact, I didn't find a single official book on Lane Staley. There isn't one. The closest one is an unofficial book about Alice in Chains written by David DeSola. And that was really the cornerstone of a lot of this research. A lot of it is pieced together from interviews, articles, because again, Lane was pretty private. You know, he did do interviews, but he didn't really talk much about his own life. And like I said, for the most part, it's sort of a different take on who Lane was by the people that surrounded him. So in this series, I'm hoping above all else that we can convince you that Lane is not just one of these singers from the 90s who had a big moment, he went away. He is actually one of the finest vocalists in rock, and he deserves to be in that pantheon. And tragically, he had this transcendent persona that just couldn't get ahead of the addiction that would eventually bring him down. And like a comet, Lane, the grunge era started with Lane and it ended with Lane. So let's dive in. This is the story, folks, of Lane Rutherford Staley. And already people are jumping on me because they're going to say that's not Lane's name. And you're probably all thinking the same thing. TJ, you're probably like, wait a minute, what? Rutherford is actually his birth middle name. Yes, most of us know him as Lane Thomas Staley. And the birth certificate has the name Lane Rutherford Staley. Just for the record, he absolutely hated it. In fact, a lot of people would refer to him in an affected voice and go, oh, Rutherford. And Lane would respond with, don't, and I'll use this way here, fucking call me Rutherford. He hated it. So that would be just one of the name changes Lane would go through. He would actually change his name several times in his young life. Lane was born on August 22nd, 1967 at the Overlake Hospital in lovely Bellevue, Washington. Bellevue is located across from the city of Seattle. It's on the eastern side of Lake Washington, separated by Mercer Island. Lane was the son of Philip Blair Staley and Nancy Elizabeth Staley, nay Lane. And that's how he got his name. He was named for his mother's maiden name. The Staleys were originally from Kansas, where they worked as farmers until about the mid-1900, where Philip's grandfather actually got a job in the automotive industry, and they slowly made their way west across the country, finally settling in Seattle and working for the Pacific Coast Auto Sales Company, and that is where Philip worked as a car salesman. 
Lane was actually raised in a Christian science household. That is the religion that Nancy supported. But he honestly showed little interest in religion and went on to be very skeptical of organized religion as a whole as he grew up. Nancy, his mother, was a Washington native. She had two sisters. She actually attended the Cornish School of the Arts in Seattle. And I have a fun fact. Fun fact. There it is. Nancy Lane had the honor of winning the title of Miss Bellevue in 1966. Yep, she won a pageant. She was going to go on to run for Miss Washington, but as we all can see from the time frame here, that didn't exactly work out. It is thought that around that time that she had won that title, she actually met Phil and they engaged in a whirlwind courtship. They were married in a ceremony just six months before Lane was born. So that sort of derailed her pageant career a little bit. Uh, Nancy became a full-time mother at that point. She was in charge of the household. And the trajectory of her career at that time was really unknown. Everything was kind of put on pause as she attended to her family. She would, however, become a fierce activist and supporter of Lane and would actually, beyond his passing, take up the mantle of running the foundation and helping others battle addiction. Uh, Nancy did pick up several uh, work assignments with PR campaigns and whatnot while she was married to Philip, but for the most part, she was a stay-at-home mom. The Staleys would have one more child, and that was Lane's sister, Audrey, who had joined the family in 1970. And in 1971, the Staleys and the world would welcome another addition. No, as I said, Lane's his only sister, but that would be the addition of one of the greatest additions to the family of music at the formation of Manfred Mann's Earth Band. <laughs> Uh, who would like to do the honors? I'm, it's been so long since Travis has done it. I think, TJ, that makes you, you're up. Okay, I'll, I'll do it even though both of you have what I like to call an affliction called very white. Yes. Uh. You know, you have, you, have a, you have a deep, growly voice. Oh, yes. do you, should, so should, should I try it? Should I try, wait? I think, you know what, I'm actually going to, I'm, I'm, I, um, I will uh, cede the floor to the uh, Senator from California. All right, then. Wait, wait, is that me or Will? That's you. Oh, cool. Okay. I think he's talking to you. Okay. <clears throat> Will's yeah. a felon. He can't hold office. Oh, sh shoot. Ladies and gentlemen, the federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference of the podcast has been satisfied. Giggity. <clears throat> there it is. So satisfying. Uh, so satisfying. So that was a bit of a high note for the world, for the Staley's. Ah. <laughs> Thank you, Mel Brooks. But that's going to be the start of the crash. Shortly after the Staley's would go through a divorce, the marriage would crumble, they would finally file for divorce in 1974, citing that the union was, quote, irretrievably broken. Ouch. So it ultimately ended in sort of a default judgment. Again, it's kind of like neither party was happy. They dissolved the marriage. But there's actually a much darker side to all this. And that is the fact that Philip Staley was an addict. Yes. So it was, it was the kind of thing that ran... Yes. In the family. Got yes. it. Okay. Philip was unfortunately an addict. And as we all know how the story progresses, eventually his son would, would become one as well. Uh, later reports state that Philip did battle substance abuse for the majority of his life, including the time during which he was married to Nancy and therefore raising Lane and his sister. Now I mentioned that Lane was a bit of a contradiction. Um, you know, in an interview, he was quoted as saying, I've never planned out my life. Quote, shit just happens. 
But that is not quite how it was, because in another interview, Lane actually recalls his first exposure to music laying in his crib and listening to one of those musical carousels over his head. He actually describes this in quite vivid detail. Family members described Lane as being extremely intelligent and focused, saying he was really focused on whatever he was doing, if he was drawing or playing with, you know, Tinker Toys or Legos, or, you know, his mother would come up and like wave a sandwich in front of his nose and he wouldn't pay any attention. He'd just keep building what he was building or drawing what he was drawing. He was just intensely focused. Couldn't care about sports at all. Uh, being in Seattle, the Lane family were Seahawks fans, as one can imagine. But whenever the Seahawks were on TV, Lane just kind of got bored and left. He didn't really care. And if my football history correct is correct tj um there wasn't much going for the seahawks at that point uh no they completely sucked ass yes they were terrible and so lane didn't have much of an interest in sports he did play you know a little baseball with fellow kids but yeah never really pulled his interest by the end of 1974 nancy would find romance again again she went back to work after splitting up with philip she met james kenneth elmer at a company christmas party and they hit it off but was a problem and that's the fact that nancy's divorce was still in progress it would not be dissolved until april of the following year once that happened she moved on and in june she married james elmer and took on his name becoming nancy elmer that would give lane two more siblings james had a son kenneth from his first marriage ken and lane spent a lot of time together as james would hold weekend custody of his son and then you know kenneth would come over and, and spend time with Lane when he was with his father, of course. And then by the time Lane was 10, Nancy and Jim would have a child of their own, and that was Jamie Elmer. Now, unofficially, Lane would refer to himself at school as Lane Elmer. It was unofficial, though, because, and this was a bit of controversy, James never officially adopted Lane. He adopted his sister Elizabeth, but he didn't adopt Lane. So it's not really clear as to why this happened. Some speculate that they always thought Philip would still be in the picture and he was still, you know, Philip's son. Um, and that Lane might have thought that, you know, he was kind of waiting for his dad to come back one day. But Lane totally spoke against this in interviews, saying there's no deep, dark secrets there. Uh, Lane said when he looked back on his parents' divorce that he remembered wondering where his dad was at times. But for the most part, he just played and had a good time as a kid. So. Again, lots of contradictions in Lane's life. Hey, Will, I hate to cut in on you here, but we do need to take a quick break for our sponsors. And we're back. Thanks, TJ. Let's jump back into the story of Lane's Daily. In October of 1975, Lane would attend his first musical concert. I'm going to throw it out there. Can anyone just take a wild guess as who the first artist was that Lane saw? TJ? What, what year was it? 1975. 1975. Led Zeppelin. Nope, not even close. Uh, let's see if LD, you want to take a stab at this one? The Carpenters. <laughs> that would be amazing. So your guess is Led Zeppelin, right? Well, you said that wasn't close, so I, I no. amended it. Okay, so you amended to the Carpenters. Uh, we, we haven't arrived yet. Um, LD, any guesses? Hang on, I think she's on a call. Okay. The Osmonds. <laughs> the Osmonds. The Bay City Rollers. The Bay City Rollers. Blue Cheer. Humble Pie. Steppenwolf. Oh, that'd be awesome. Black Oak, Arkansas. <laughs> For the record, we are not even close. <laughs> Not even in the ballpark. Love Unlimited Orchestra. ELO. The Sounds of Philadelphia. <laughs> Atlantic Star. Molly Hatchet. No. Uh, LD, you with us? Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I, okay. had to, I had to take a phone call for Idol. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we had some very uh, wayward guesses as to what Lane's first concert was in October of 1975. Would you like to guess an artist? 1970. I'm going to say the Eagles. No. Final answer is Sir Elton John. 
Oh, well, we need to have wow. a chat about that, don't we? Yes, Mr. we sure Hickey. do. That was uh, his first concert he attended with his father. And according to Ken, Lane absolutely loved but kept asking, what's that smell throughout the concert? And of course, it was a smell Lane would be very familiar with in future years. However, Elton was it being the, the smell of success? Uh, no, it's the smell of marijuana. Oh, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. However, and TJ, you'll appreciate this, Lane's love of music was really fueled by a later concert that he saw, and that would be Van Halen. Sweet. Yes. He listened to a lot of different things growing up. He listened to Fleetwood Mac. He listened to Twisted Sister, Ozzy, The Scorpions. Again, Elton John. He had a big mix going on there. By the time Lane was nine, he had made up his mind. He was going to be in music for the rest of his life. He started playing some instruments. He played trumpet. He played drums. In fact, he got a drum set from a friend and sort of played along with it. Uh, that wouldn't really last, though, because Lane kept saying he wanted to sing. And every time he said he wanted to sing, all the kids would tell him, no, you're a drummer. You don't sing. So Lane was like, well, forget this. So he traded in his drum kit at a music store for a mic and like a PA system. And he'd go home and he would play like records along, like he'd play Twisted Sister and stuff. And he'd like sing along with it in his basement. So that's how he really started becoming a vocalist. Ken would join him and they would listen to their favorite bands. What they would do is listen to the lyrics, transcribe them, and then sing along with the songs. Again, without the internet, the world is a very different place. Yeah, back in my day, if you wanted to know the lyrics, you either guessed it or you opened up a CD. And, and for those at home, kids, a CD was a, an archaic way of listening to music. It was a, it was a vastly is... superior way to the shit stuff people listen to now. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, uh, I, I, I still prefer a track. It sounds better. I prefer wax cylinders. <laughs> I actually prefer the Victrola, but uh, hand cranking Ooh, is Victrola. very hard. We need more. <laughs> we, we we need more calliope music. Yes, the world in general needs more. Calliope I use my music. hand to crank it hard. <laughs> <sighs> so what were the initial reactions to lane's vocals in the basement <laughs> well when we when his family was queried they said he wasn't very good and lane kept saying you know i didn't think i had a good voice and ken was saying lane you're not a singer so that's his inauspicious beginning, beginning. not exactly encouraging so by the time Lane goes to high school, he was in for a bit of a rough patch. He was smaller than most of the kids. He didn't care about sports, so he constantly got picked on, and he fell into what would many consider the wrong crowd. When Lane started taking drugs is not entirely clear. It is highly speculated that at this time he did smoke marijuana, and they also took Dexatrim. Do you guys remember Dexatrim? The white loss thing? Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They, they took that off the shelves, though, because it had ephedrine or something, didn't they? Yeah. yeah it was... It's something like that. Yeah, there, were, there were a lot of like weird over-the-counter um, uh, weight loss things you used to be, could buy. Dexatrim was one of them. And then, and then remember the one that was called AIDS? AIDS. Yeah. Oh, God. AIDS candies. The, the worst name for weight loss ever. Can you imagine like like you name your product that and then like a, like a year later, you're like, oh boy, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Whoops. Yep. But yeah, a lot of these had ingredients that are basically the same things you find in speed. So kids would go get yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it was yeah. basically, it was basically like, it, it, it was like speed, right? It was amphetamine. Yeah, poor man's speed, so, yeah. So wait, honey, are you, are you saying it was like Jesse Spano? 
on Saved by the Bell. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm going to quickly go I'm to the next so topic. I'm so excited. You know, I'm so about excited. We've I'm been so scared. I'm going to talk to my therapist. Anyway, with better help, no less. Uh, <laughs> so it's highly suspected that Lane experimented with drugs this time. They don't really know. During high school, he ran away a bunch of times. It was really clear that he wasn't you know, he didn't have a place. Um, Ken actually went to a different school because you remember Ken lived with his father part of the time and his mother the other part of the time. So Lane had a hard time kind of carving out his group of friends at his his own high school. He became withdrawn, but he started singing more and he started to get better. So one of uh, his high school shop teachers, Rick Throm, actually said that Lane showed a lot of promise and really wanted to take the steps to get there. In fact, he asked Lane what he was going to do and Lane said, well, we're going to win the Battle of the Bands and get a recording contract, and I'm going to become a rock star. In fact, Lane was quoted as saying, I'm a star, just nobody knows it yet. That's one of the things he would say. Uh, despite his reserved nature, he's still a prankster and a bit outgoing. In fact, one of the great pranks he played was he reconfigured the sprayers in his car windshield to spray orange juice. So they would work the wires <laughs> back to the car. And in fact, they got... Uh, yeah. That is amazing. Did he not have a windshield? <laughs> no, you had the windshield. They, what they did was they put the wire back through no, the car. But, so, but don't you remember in the episode of True Jackson VP where uh, Ryan gets the car? Oh, that's and right. And it doesn't have a windshield, so he fills up the windshield washer fluid with root beer. Yep, I do remember that. Similar concept. Yes. Okay. Similar concept. In fact, they got pulled over at one point, and he sprayed the cop in the face, and it was it was an incident, but it was quite funny. Uh, Lane was not part of organized music in high school. However, his stepbrother, Ken Elmer, was. Ken was actually very involved in the Shorewood High Marching Band and met a young man named James Bergstrom. File that away for later. And again, we know that they are going to different schools because I said Ken was at Shorewood, and Lane actually attended Meadowdale, which is on the northern side of Seattle proper. Around 1984, when Lane was about a junior, Ken found out that James Bergstrom had a band called Sleaze, and their band was highly inspired by Motley Crue. So think that sort of glam rock era. That's what they wanted to be. And Sleaze was in need of a lead singer. He knew they were pretty hard up. So, you know, James said he was looking for a singer, and Ken gave just a ringing endorsement for Lane, saying, quote, he plays drums and he wants to sing. I think he kind of sucks. If he does, don't blame me. It's not my fault. If you can't do it, fine. That was his endorsement. But somehow, this got him an audition with Sleaze. The original lineup of Sleaze was James Bergstrom, a guitar player named Johnny Bacalus, Ed Seminante, and a bassist named Byron Hansen. The first song that they asked Lane to play when he auditioned was a cover of Looks That Kill by Motley Crue. They said that sealed it. Lane was basically Vince Neil. He hit all the notes. He had the persona. He had like he hit the all the notes, and he wasn't Vince Neil. Well, yeah. So he was probably better than Vince Neil. Uh, Barcolis, Johnny Barcolis is actually quoted as saying, F yeah, that's what a lead singer looks like. What no one knew at that time is with that addition of Lane, Sleaze was on its way to becoming the band we now know as Alice in Chains. So it started back in high school. Can we just take a second to talk about some of the terrible names in in oh, rock? They're going to get worse. They're going to get worse. I mean, like we have, like you know, Tommy Webb and the Spiders. Terry Webb and the Spiders. Whatever. I've, I've put it out of my brain. Um, but there the are Eternal Triangle. Uh, but Sleaze just sounds 
dirty sleazy yeah and then you have like rat why <laughs> here's what happens when I, when ld gets covid uh she tries to remember everything that she's ever learned all at once and then it gets stuck in her throat and then her fog brain comes down like termite the thing that what kills termites terminex it yeah. fogs and it goes ah and then kills all the thoughts Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Bye. The fog, the termite, the termite, the fog, yeah. and the fog kills the fog. Okay. So back to Lane Staley. <laughs> so he really knocked it out of the park. He looked like the lead singer. He had his hair bleached blonde. He, you know, had the ripped jeans. And they said, "This is this is the guy." And basically, they hired him on the spot. So the band would re, re, the band would rehearse routinely, and Lane would also practice on his own. So keep in mind, he hasn't had any formal vocal training at this point. He's just kind of experimenting. He's got the PA in the basement. He would sing alongside the music he liked. And after, you know, a little bit of practice, Sleaze was ready to make an appearance. So they auditioned for the Shorewood High Talent Show, which actually ended in a very similar fashion to that scene in Back to the Future with Huey Lewis. I don't know what movie you're talking about. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually really funny because that meme has resurfaced because of Kate Bush, which we talked about nice. like two weeks ago. And it's, it's uh, you know, Marty McFly. And underneath it, it's it says, running up that hill. And then <laughs> after that, it says, you guys don't, you know, you guys aren't ready for this, but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> yeah, this is more along the lines of you guys are just too loud. So they played the audition. The judges are like oh, oh the no, one with it. huey yeah. lewis yes oh, sorry i was thinking for. the chuck berry thing i'm sorry see covid bye no definitely the huey lewis scene where the the pinheads are denied entry into the the, the dance if i recall correctly uh sleeves was also declined and they were offered however in place of that a 45 minute gig at the student activity center which the band took so lane and the band would take the stage in the full motley crew and poison they like outfits they would wear the spandex pants hair crazy, makeup, eyeliner, all that stuff. And that included, you know, Lane's rendition of Looks Could Kill was one of the things that they became known for. So this was sort of a high point for Sleaze. Um, the members kind of clashed and people kind of came and went uh, throughout all of it. Lane and James were really the core band members really through the next year by 1985. Um, they brought in another guitar player named Nick Pollock after kicking out the previous guitar player. And this is where the Rutherford jokes really came into play. Pollock would continually go, oh, Rutherford. And Lane would say, don't effing call me Rutherford. They would have fights over it. So at some point, Lane just had enough. In August of 1985, Lane went to the Seattle courthouse and officially changed his name to Lane Thomas Staley. So he gets rid of the Rutherford at that point. Now, three things are about to happen. And these three things are going to shape not only Lane's future, but the future of Alice Chains and grunge music in general. The first, you guys are going to really enjoy this one, is the debate over music censorship. Of course, spearheaded by Tipper Gore and the PMRC. Uh, Parents, music. Or as I like to call them, Tipper Gore and a bunch of bored-ass housewives. It's pretty much, yeah. Or as I like to call it, the day that Tipper Gore got shut down with someone with better hair. Oh, yeah. So this, of course, started the controversy over music censorship. There were Senate committee hearings, uh, Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation held hearings, and they brought in testimony. Of course, the one we all know and love is D. Snyder, where he just dismantles Tipper Gore in the courtroom, and it's just delightful. Yeah, hey, you, you know, hey, you know who else slaughtered him? Uh, who's that? John Denver. Yeah, and, and Zappa too, right? I think Zappa Zep was Frank there. Frank Zappa. Yeah. 
John Denver and D. Snyder absolutely handed that set. That, by the way, illegal Senate subcommittee, their ass. Yeah, who would have thought them their ass? Who would have thought John Denver would be like all up in arms? Well, apparently, <laughs> like all the senators were fawning over him and they were big fans or whatever. And he went up and D didn't know what he was going to say. And Frank was a little iffy. And then John Denver absolutely railed him, just lowered the boom. Yeah. Well, yeah. here's the thing if you've worked with Muppets more than once, I feel like, I, I feel like that gives you a leg up. Sure, him, Madeline. Yeah. He cavorted with a. He openly cavorted with a man named Crazy Harry. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the, and here's the thing: what that what that ended up the, this whole hullabaloo that happened, it it ended up with a sticker on a CD. Yep, that was that, that's advisory. what it amount. It that's yeah. It just says explicit lyrics. And that's, I think that's um, what you I, got. I think part of, and I want to say that the reason the lyrics were featured inside of album sleeves for a long time, I think that sprung from this it did yes that's exactly why because I, I, I think that committee wanted them on the album cover and they were like yeah they they won't fit that's ridiculous yeah, yeah where are they gonna go yeah my, so my favorite one was not the uh parental warning explicit lyrics you would go to some places and there would be a sticker and it was a picture of a toilet and it said sanitized for your protection and they would bleep out all of the curse words and stuff <laughs> Amazing. Oh, actually, my my personal favorite effect of that was because I don't know if you guys remember the Walmart effect when it came to CDs, but you could buy a CD at say something like Best Buy or Sam Goody, and it'd have the same sticker on it, but the the track listings might be different. The personal favorite of mine was that Meredith Brooks put out a song called "Bitch," which got substantial airplay in the '90s. But it got the Walmart sanitized treatment. So if you bought the album, it actually says Meredith Brooks, the song. <laughs> nice. Meredith Brooks with her big hit female dog. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. I'm like, and I feel like that might be worth some money now, maybe. <laughs> like, but it's just well, so, I, so I weird. remember seeing the, I don't know if it was the debut CD album by them. You remember Jackal? I remember Jackal, yeah. Okay, yes. the album that that first album, I think it was the first album that had like the Lumberjack song and Dirty Little Mind and stuff. There was a song on there. I think it was the last one. It was a reference to male genitalia um, and how much a uh, lady friend enjoyed said uh, portion of uh, Jesse James's anatomy. Uh, huh. Ladies if and you, gentlemen, if, watch if you, my brother tap dance around a word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. So, uh, but anyway, if you the, the Walmart version, that song was gone. It just wasn't even there. It's eliminated. Yeah. They just took that. Yeah, that, that that version. If you bought that album at Walmart, that song was absent from the album. Yeah, and this is like a thing in the '90s that that like if you went to go purchase an album, you could actually put a sam goody version or like an fye version next to the walmart version there'd be tracks missing there would be checks that were renamed it was tracks like, if like she loves my- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. would be notably absent from the album and we broke my brother yeah. I've been awake since 4 a.m. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
All right. Well, we all know the results of this. What happened was this sort of sprung up a series of local town hall meetings. Oh, boy. (laughs) How many more pages do we have, honey? We're we're getting there. We're in the last, like, two. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. So I wasn't going to say it. You made me say it. I'll let this this hit your feet. It is you. I I blame you. I did nothing. I just, I simply was making the observation that you were going the extra mile to just not say the word. I was going around my ass to get the mic. uh, Some of today's, some of the portions (laughs) of today's broadcast have been edited due to the fact that my brother won't stop saying rooster. Hey, that's an Alice Chain song. That's an Alice Chain song. It's right. Oh, boy. I'm sorry, honey. I tried. I tried. I know you did your best. I tried. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. All right. See, this is what happens when you take like three weeks off. You forget how to podcast. When you take three weeks off, when I get up at 4 a.m. and I'm doing this on like three hours of sleep. And And I've got. LD has COVID. Will just got over COVID. They've been across the country and back. Uh, shake Every, off the rust. Shake off everything the rust. is a dream. Okay, I'm good. Continue. Yep. Okay. We'll behave. We'll mute. Okay. So these Senate committees led to a series of sort of local meetings and town hall sessions, one of which was in Seattle at the KOMO radio station. And the focus was on the subject of music censorship, at which point one member of the audience was actually brought up to say their piece on the matter, which was, our lyrics are all positive. We didn't use bad language or sing about drugs and sex, but I just want the freedom to write about what I want to write about. That's a direct quote from Lane Staley. So at the time, his comments actually made the paper. They went to the Seattle Times and it pushed Lane and his band more into the public eye. In fact, it got them several gigs, including a show at Alki Beach in the fall of 1985. Now, I said there were three incidents. One was the Senate hearings, which led to the movement for music censorship. The other was this local town hall. And the other one, again, roll of the dice. This concert at Alki Beach would be attended by a local music fan who would make their way all the way up the peninsula to see the band Sleaze. He would eventually meet Lane and the band, and that fan was Sean Howard Kinney, as we all know the future drummer for Alice in Chains. Kinney was actually born in 1966 to a police officer and a city official. He actually started playing music at the age of five. So Kinney started on the drums. He was only five years old. His grandfather had a band called the Crosscats, and he would even fill in with the band and play drums by the time he was nine. So he was pretty much born into it. By the mid-1980s, Kinney was finishing up at Liberty Senior High School, and he had seen Lane and thought they were very impressive. So he goes up to the show at Alki Beach with the intention of actually meeting Lane, walks up to him after the show and says, I think you're cool, but your band sucks. And Lane says, okay, really? He goes, you need a better drummer. You need me. It was a ballsy move. So Sean did have a bit of a problem, though. He didn't I, own a I, phone. I'm sorry, Will, I interrupt yeah. you again. Is that not almost exactly, if, if you go back year and a half, how John Bonham would approach <laughs> pretty much getting gigs he would he would go see bands and when they take a break he'd go up to the lead singer like yeah yeah your band's pretty good your drummer sucks though why don't you yeah. uh yeah, you drop that zero get with the hero yeah and that was sean kenny's approach with with lane so the only problem was shane sean didn't have a phone number 
So he said, okay, here's how you can get a hold of me. I'm going to give you my girlfriend's phone number. That girlfriend is Miranda Starr, and her brother is Michael Christopher Starr, the eventual bass player of Alice in Chains. So as you can already see, there's these sort of cosmic events happening that are bringing the band together. Right now, Lane is playing with the band that would form into Alice in Chains. He has already met the future drummer, Sean Kinney, and he now has a direct connection to Mike Starr, who we're going to get into in our next episode, which of course we're going to tackle uh, the life of Lane as he gets out of high school, the band as it progresses into what we know now as Alice in Chains, the famous music bank in Seattle, and again, perhaps the most fortuitous chance in the Alice in Chains lineup, because as you are checking off the names here, there's one more to go, and he's going to meet them in episode two. So before we close out and do our final song, I'm going to assign some homework. So oh, get your no. pads, get your pens. And the good thing is I'm assigning it now, so you have the full duration of the series to complete it. I'm estimating Lane to come in at about seven parts, because I think it's important to deal with his passing and then actually what happens to Alice in Chains and the artist's after Lane's death, because there is a big postlude there. So you got two assignments, folks, to complete between now and the end. And listeners, please play along. I would like you to pick your top five Alice in Chains albums. Top five. And they can be any album. You may think it's coincidence that Lane released five albums with Alice in Chains, and that's why I'm sort of going in this direction, but I am not. You can certainly open it up to the albums that do not include Lane, like The Devil Put Dinosaurs Here, Black Gives Way to Blue, and those were, of course, helmed by William Duvall, who would take over vocal duties after Lane's passing. But let's hear your top five. What are your top five Alice in Chains hey, albums? And, and TJ, that's top five. Do you know how to count to five? <laughs> I need to count to 11. I have 10 fingers and one. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Boy. <laughs> So we have a top five album list, and then we're going back to the set list from hell, folks. The big four are back. Now, if you've been following along here, you'll realize the big four of grunge, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Nirvana, and Pearl Jam, there's only one that's still left, Pearl Jam. That's it. So we're going to, through our imaginations, bring back all four. So everybody's back. Lane is back. Kurt's back. Chris Cornell is back. And Hello? they are going to perform a show. You need to build their concert list. It's going to consist of the following. Four songs from each band, for Alice, for Pearl Jam, for Soundgarden, for Nirvana. Four songs from band side projects. Now, that's going to open up a big can of worms here because remember who you've got here. You have some obvious ones like Temple of the Dog for Eddie Vedder and Chris Cornell. You've got Mad Season with Lane Staley. You've got Audio Slave for Chris Cornell. You've got Cornell Solo. You want to give Jerry Cantrell some love? Go with his solo stuff from, you know, Boggy Depot or Sunshine. Um, and Nirvana does have that guy, Dave Grohl. So technically, Foo Fighters are on the table, folks. Four songs from side projects. And then, of course, a four-song encore. That's dealer's choice. Can be anything you want. So I, I would like a divorce. <laughs> so that's the set list from Hell, folks. Total of 24 songs for our big four of grunge. We'll be reuniting for one single show. Yeah, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana, and all the side projects they're associated with, culminating in one fantastic 24-song set list. And that is your homework. Before we close out here, um, I think we have some business to tend to before we get to our final song. Is that right, LD? Oh, shoot. I forgot I was doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> hang on. Yes. And here's the rest of our business. Oh, good. Okay. So if you think that we're doing an awesome job and you'd like to toss a coin to your witchery, you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. Again, once we are all in the same room, we're going to be restructuring that to actually include some pretty cool stuff. 
uh, video, audio, going live, all that good stuff. Uh, perhaps some uh, secret private Patreon episodes just for the, the folks that sponsor the show. But uh, you can do that again at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. You put us on Twitter at rock and roll LT. Our Instagram is rock and roll heaven LT. Check us out on Facebook. That's rock and roll heaven pod. Still not saying our website. Uh, you can also check us out on TikTok where I do a little video series about fun facts and uh, and it's a lot of fun over there. You can do that at rock and roll heaven pod. That's all one word. And you can email us at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all the other Pantheon podcasts, which are some incredible shows. We have amazing shows in our network. And you can do that at pantheonpodcast.com. Um, two other notes is uh, I'm still working on basics. So please check that podcast out if you're interested. Uh, believe we just released our episode on the Samantha B which was a really interesting listen just on, you know, my end as the producer. So uh, it was very cool. And uh, we're having a lot of fun over on that show. Uh, and that is hosted by Doug Herzog and Jen Cheney from Vulture and Vice Magazine. And Doug was uh, the head of Viacom and Fox. So Can you really nice. what's that? Okay. I, I, y'all dropped at one point. I'm sorry. You dropped at one point and then came back and I like been trying to talk. and I think you couldn't hear me. Oh yeah, no, I couldn't hear you. No, what were you trying to say? No, I was no, I was just gonna say. I think uh, I just saw today Samantha B's show just got canceled. Yeah, it did. I, yeah. You know, or or was not was not be, not renewed or whatever. Yeah, which is really unfortunate because she is whip smart and just amazing. So, but yeah, that was that was a great listen. The Brian Cranston episode was a masterclass in acting, and we've got some amazing episodes coming up that I'm super excited about. So. Check out Basic. And then also for any of you aspiring singers out there, I am now back on American Idol. And so we're working on our casting now. Auditions are going to be starting on August the 5th. And uh, if you are interested in having somebody in your life, or if uh, you are between the ages of 15 and 28, please feel free to email me at lindley.erlich at americanidol.com. Uh, I will place that in the show notes because my name is almost pert near impossible to spell. And if you can do it blind, uh, I will I will give you a cake. So that's Ooh, pretty much cake. it. Yes. So uh, I think the first episode of Lane Staley went off without a hitch. That was a that was a perfect show right there. Yeah, I mean, that's you're not even gonna have to edit. Uh, you can just roll that thing straight on up on the interwebs okay. and. Uh, yep. And uh, people can go ahead. And... No editing necessary. So. Uh, Mr. If we're, we're if we are wrapping up now, uh, TJ too. Do you have anything that you'd like to say to the audience? Bye, buddy. Excellent. And I, I guess uh, I get to say the same thing. Uh, love you all, guys. Uh, please stay safe out there and uh, continue to wear your masks, wash your hands, and all that good stuff because this COVID thing sucks. I don't recommend it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I. I. You know, zero out of ten stars. <laughs> would not. Would not recommend. This this thing got like two on Rotten Tomatoes. Two percent. Two percent. Yeah. It is now a movie. <laughs> um. All right, Mr. Will the Thrill. I throw it back to you to wrap up. Sure. We are going to close out with an early song. It was performed by Sleaze. The recordings I found are from early Alice in Chains, but as I mentioned, one sort of gives way to the other. And we know that they covered a lot of glam rock, but I thought LD, I'd give you a little 
little something for you on this one because one of the covers that Lane did was actually from the great David Bowie. Oh, so, okay. The final song we're going to leave you with is a very early performance by Sleaze, eventually Alice in Chains. And that is a performance featuring the vocal stylings of Lane Staley on Suffragette City. Nice. Yep. So thank you everybody for joining us. It's going to be quite the journey learning about Lane here and we can't wait to see you on the next one. We will see you guys next week for episode two on Lane Staley. We love you all. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe. Goodbye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 